You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Like a Muslim, praying to the east. Nature of my life relates rhymes I release like a kid. Cause I've been planning to be Hello and welcome back to another episode of Unsung Heroes, Stories to Inspire, here on Podcast Detroit. Our purpose here is to share inspirational stories and unique narratives of individuals who have been sparked by their passion to become movers and change makers in our communities. We hope that by sharing these stories of positivity, we will inspire you to live a life of purpose and action. We've had some amazing past episodes, and we've talked to community activists, artists, writers, filmmakers, leaders, community leaders, and each and every story has its own values and lessons. And as we are wrapping up this first season, I can kind of see that the show is also evolving. And what I really love about the conversations that we have on this show is that, we, that we're always able to really dig deep and touch the heart of the matter. And that's what I hope to do today as we talk about the intersection of color and faith here. Um, this is episode uh 19 or sorry 18 um and this topic is so important um so i really uh we're probably going to have a series of conversations on this topic of color and faith um today i'm missing my co-host in action calvin moore he had an emergency that came up so we're really gonna miss him um i know that he was looking forward to joining us on this conversation but like i said um i know this isn't going to be our last conversation on this topic but I'm super excited to introduce my guests for today. Um, we have Dr. Halim Naeem and Marguerite Aziza Hill. Welcome, guys. Hey. Thank you for having us. Okay. I hope I can hear you, Halim. I think I can. I think everything is okay. Ooh. Hopefully. I can, um, yeah, I think it should be okay. So Dr. Halim Naeem is a practicing psychotherapist and president of his own private practice, Naeem & Associates in Livonia, Michigan. He specializes in brain health, ADD and ADHD, masculinity, plus clinical intervention and assessment of adolescents and young adults. Um, he's conducted the first research study in the field of psychology on African-American Sunni Muslims. He sits on multiple boards of organizations ranging from civic engagement, educational, religious, and professional mental health. Um, he's been published in magazines, books, articles, and speaks at numerous conferences and conventions on spiritual, psychological, and masculinity issues. Um, and um, we did a sound. Everything was okay. I can't hear you, but I think we're good. <laughs> the good thing is, is that we can um, edit some of this later. Um, Marjorie, Marguerite Aziza Hill is a co-founder and programming director of Muslim Anti-Racism Collaborative, Muslim ARC. And she has over a decade of teaching and curriculum design experiences at all levels, from elementary, secondary, college level to adult education. An educator and independent researcher, she has given talks and lectures at various universities and Muslim community organizations across the country. So we're, we're super excited um, to have you both. Um, and... Um, yeah, so I'm going to start with you, Marguerite. Um, so, you know, as I mentioned, I'm also going to be having Bobby Rogers on um, in a little bit. He's going to be calling in, and he's a visual artist um, whose work ranges from expressive illustrations to fine art photography. And so I think, you know, kind of how the show evolved is that I saw his um, por photography, portrait photography art, and um, 
and basically kind of, it was interesting. I said, hey, you know, this would be a really, I wanted to have this topic kind of talking about the intersectionality of race and religion, particularly, um, you know, African-American, like African-American Muslim experience. And, um, and so then I was, as I was backtracking, I realized that the hashtag being black and Muslim was really originated by you, Marguerite, and mm-hmm. co-founder of Muslim Art, um, Namira Islam. So tell us a little bit about, um, you know, your background and how this has informed your work as an educator and, you know, working on curriculum and how your experiences kind of culminated to the formation of Muslim ARC, uh, the Muslim Anti-Racism Collaborative, and a little bit about the hashtag being black and Muslim that originated with you guys. Okay. Yeah, I'll try to um, sum up 23 years of my life. I've been uh, Muslim like all my adult life. Um, when I first started community college, um, that's when I took Shahada and became Muslim. And part of that was this um, reclaiming my identity, but also looking for a path of dignity and, and uh, a validation of myself as, you know, as both um, a, a spiritual person, um, you know, and finding that kind of connection with my creator. But also my journey to Islam was influenced by Malcolm X um, and um, more so through his FBI files and, and his work in in organizing and addressing white supremacy, but also in and, and, and doing that outwardly through political advocacy, um, you know, like when he was he had plans to go to the U.N. to um talk about the human rights abuses against um, African-Americans, but also inwardly of that um, rejecting internalized white supremacy. And so that was something that was very powerful for me as a young uh, African-American woman who who grew up in a multicultural community. It was very multiracial, Latinos, Asians, um, white, and we there was like a small sprinkling of African-Americans. And I had experienced anti-blackness from different communities of color too, and and seen a lot of internalized um, uh, racism within my own community. And um, Islam was just something that just really was affirming to my life as as a black woman. Um, and the, the people that I knew were African American Muslims that, and they and I saw their positive journey and influenced me. Unfortunately, over the, you know, within a few years, I saw um, and I experienced kind of subtle discrimination within the community that I lived in. Um, I saw the ways in which um, white converts or people that were white passing um, were, you know, kind of put on a pedestal while many of us um, black converts um, were treated differently, you know, and I didn't really have a name for what I was going through. And um, so, you know, that kind of shaped how I moved about in, in the Muslim community. Aligned with that was um, was my journey through education. And so this is why I'm so passionate about um, education of all levels and community education. Um, growing up working class with a single family, a single parent household, um, I didn't have a lot of money for school and um you know, like, so I actually struggled 
through undergrad. I mean, it took me about 10 years to get through undergrad, and I spent a lot of years in community college um, before I transferred to Santa Clara University. And even when I got to the university, um, because of finances, I was out of school for three years. And, um, and I wanted to be an educator then. And so, you know, my work as an educator is really from that passion, knowing that a lot of people from my background, they are denied opportunities. And so how can we um, provide, um, you know, open doors and second chances for for those who um, come from underprivileged backgrounds? And so that um, that shaped of my journey, but I was also very passionate about understanding Islam. And so over my course of education as a non-traditional student, I eventually applied for graduate school and I wanted to study race in Muslim societies um, because I had heard from people, they said like, oh, well, you're experiencing this because of colonialism. So I went to like explore what were the roots of anti-blackness in Muslim communities. And um, I ended up in graduate school for four years and I did re- research on racial formation in Muslim societies. Eventually left graduate school um, after I got my master's and I taught in an Islamic school. And I was very shocked to see or to actually witness um, black students being referred to as Abib, as slaves um, from their Arab American counterparts. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so we worked on doing assemblies to address bullying and racism. And um, that was the kind of seed that kind of pre, pre-Muslim art, you know, like in 2011, that's when, when I left teaching um, secondary school. And um, a couple years later, when I saw Dawood would lead um, addressing anti-Blackness and anti-Black racial slurs, I was very passionate because I saw a lot of Muslim youth um, engaging in both like appropriation and also, you know, using the slur. And so um, online, we started to tweet at people saying this is not okay. And we got a lot of pushback from it. And eventually we, I saw that the need, there was a need for education that we needed to train people in our community to um, teach the youth to do better and when I um, was put in contact with Namira, um, who was working on some, you know, doing a Black History Month hashtag, mm-hmm. I worked, I convinced her, hey, let's do an organization. Um, let's do something deeper than just, you know, Twitter hashtags and work on getting some online trainings for folks so that we can make sure that um, our youth um, aren't um, engaging in such um, harmful behavior And that first core group, it was, um, we had Arab American, South Asian women. um, So it was like um, Namira Islam, Maythel Hassan, um, Diala Mm -hmm. Khalifa, and Hind Meki. And so we were this kind of, we first launched during Black History Month with being Black and Muslim. Our hope was to um, allow Black Muslims to voice whatever that they felt, whatever, you know, positive, negative, we wanted to have this open conversation with prompts about the joys, the struggles um, of being black and Muslim. And what we found was both a celebration, but a lot of heartbreak. And that really Mm -hmm. solidified the need to found an organization that specifically addressed um, bias and racism within Muslim communities. 
And since then, it's we've been going since 2014. Wow, that's really amazing. Um, Halim, you know, we're, we've been colleagues for a long time. We've worked together. We've mm-hmm. seen each other speak at the Muslim Mental Health Conference, and you're an integral part of that. Tell us a little bit about um, – and, I've, and this is cool because I've always wanted to just sit down and hang out um, mm-hmm. with you and Zarina. And by the way, his wife, uh, Zarina, was our first guest on the show. Um, so go check out that episode. She's amazing. She is. She's amazing. When yeah, she started yeah. talking, I was like, I had a lot of doubts for starting start this podcast. But when she started talking, I was like, okay, this is good. This is going to be good. So, Halim, talk to us a little bit about, I'm sure that what Marguerite was saying, many of the things are common for you too, things that you've Mm -hmm. experienced and have thought about. Um, But in your own experience, intersectionality of being African-American and Muslim, and particularly kind of your work in looking at uh, masculinity issues as well in the community. So, so yeah, um, Juan, thank you so much for having us on here. And um, and, uh, hopefully this this will be a blessed conversation and the conversation that continues to go on and, and, and move on uh, because it's very important. So, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. That's okay. <laughs> well, I animated for this mic. Uh, <laughs> so, 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 yeah, so first part, in terms of being black and Muslim, uh, it's, a, it's a very unique, um, it's a very unique intersection because it's a, it's a very unique combina- combination to have because these are two of the most um, hot, uh, topics in mm. our society. Uh, racism has always been a, a source of anxiety and sadness and a bunch of negative <laughs> emotions, sometimes positive and uplifting, hopeful. But so being black just just in that space visibly is, is it comes with a lot of issues and it comes with a lot of baggage. Second thing is when you when you juxtapose, when you connect that, with being Muslim and you are walking vis- even visibly, identifiably with, uh, within these spaces, within society, it can – it gets a lot there's, – there's other layers that come with it, not just in terms of racism and, and any type of otherization, but also uh, even within communities of color. Even within you know our own African American communities, there is a there is a a a growing divide. I would say mm-hmm. <laughs> more um, than it used to be um, with because because of because of media because of a number of different things. Um, so now you have now you have a uh, uh, you have it coming from multiple sides now. So it's really a marginalization. And then on top of that, you know, what Magari is talking about in terms of just your supposed counterparts as Muslims um, that are supposed to hold to these principles and supposed to hold to just so many different things, you know, that you see in the Quran, that you see in the uh, Prophet Muhammad's peace be upon them as an example, mm-hmm. everything like that. Now you're starting to see the uh, cultural backing and the cultural foundation of a uh, demonization of darkness uh, come out mm-hmm. in these things. And then you, then you get the stories like what Magar is talking about, about um, the Abids and, you know, different 
different types of things because those are the images that are seen. Those are images that are seen in media. Those are the, some of the assumptions that, um, you know, people in different parts of the world, that people who look like me and Magari, <laughs> that um, it's supposed to, there's an innate subservience to mm. um, certain cultures. So when you're in that space and you're getting, you're getting demonized from multiple sides, it's, uh, it can be a lot to walk into, especially when you're trying to be a team player. And a lot of people who convert to Islam, a lot of African-Americans who convert to Islam are trying to be team players, are trying to look at and escape, you know, some a lot of this, this demonization, this hatred, this racism, and then walk into <laughs> a uh, quite a monster. So um, that's what I would say about, you know, my little short thing about uh, being black and being Muslim. Uh, in terms of masculinity, uh, I think that was the second part mm-hmm. of the question. In terms of masculinity, years ago, just started a blog and and did, you know, had a number of things there, did some presentations, and now just more specifically working with young men mm-hmm. in my practice and outside of practice to ensure and make sure that they develop into good, positive male role models. Because one of the things that's mm-hmm. happening now um, with a number of movements you know, <laughs> in this in the society, in the country, is a an attack specifically on African-American, on black masculinity, specifically on that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you look at a number of different things. You look at you look at the uh, Oscars and who's being mm. um, purported and things like that. And that is a reinforcement of that. And what's under that and what's foundational to that is that is that there is a, a fear and a demonization of a strong black male. The, the emotional the emotional range, the accepted emotional range is much smaller for an African-American man than it is for the white counterpart. So mm-hmm. an African-American man is essentially supposed to be um, uh, lustful, you know, hypersexualized like it is in media, um, uh, uh, sad, angry, uh, angry a little bit uh, in a certain way in reaction, subservient. But when you're talking about mm-hmm. – when you're talking about male counterparts, then it's okay in media and movies and things like that for a white man to, you know, take over, be assertive, be the leader, be, you know, all these different things. And that's not reinforced with mm-hmm. black males. So when you're growing up and you're looking at books and you're seeing movies and you're seeing pictures and you're hearing people talk and you're looking at the news and they make it a point. They make it a point on the news to put a uh, a picture of a black male quick, mm-hmm. you know, and quick to say the ethnicity, quick mm-hmm. to say that versus when uh, other people do other things, then it's conceptualized in another way. We know that the foundation of this is that there is an inherent and a um, an intentional demonization and uh, hatred of uh, of black masculinity. So I'm going to talk about it. <laughs> you know, I'm going to try and develop it and make sure that people come up into um, uh, positive, positive figures and models. So, yeah. Wow. 
So I actually grew up in Durham, North Carolina. And um, the first mosque, I don't know if you know this, the first mosque that I went to was in, uh, we lived like 35 minutes away from Raleigh, uh-huh. but we, the mosque that I frequented was the one in Durham, which was very small at the time, but it was primarily African-American. Uh-huh. And it kind of reminds me of this conversation actually that we have on episode four with Steve Spritzer, who talked about how it's really uh-huh. important to have relationships with people that are not like you in some way before you're a teenager Mm-hmm. And how important that is in your development. And I never never really thought about it, but that was like such a blessing. I'm so glad that that was my first experience mm-hmm. in a Muslim space because it just it felt like like home. And so when I visit the Muslim Center, I mm-hmm. just it's like it touches me in a really cerebral way, different way. Even just the smell of ither, like the musk mm-hmm. that we use, mm-hmm. it reminds me of something very close to me, mm-hmm. and yep. it feels mm-hmm. like home. That's um, and. So it's interesting. I mean, and I can see if if Muslims are like, you know, we tend to kind of segregate with our within ethnic lines. Mm -hmm. And if I think as parents, we have to make an active effort to make sure that we are, you know, exposing our kids to not just I don't want to say exposing, but building friendships across these Mm -hmm. racial and ethnic lines. So Mm -hmm. we're not just always with people that look like us. Mm -hmm. We're already with Muslims fine most of the time. But then if you're really going to further segregate that, then you're missing something. So actually we have um, Bobby Rogers that just called in too. I'm going to introduce him now. He's a, as I mentioned, he's a visual artist whose work ranges from expressive illustrations to fine art photography. And currently much of his work centers on the complexity of blackness and capturing this complexity through extremely expressive portrait photography. And his work is an act of resistance as it gap- grapples to conform to the rules of photography or the pseudo-historical narrative of black culture that often paints the black experience as a monolith. Through his work, he captures his subjects in a deeply resonant, unapologetic, and royal fashion, countering assumed conceptions that ignore the grace and power of the diaspora. And he's of this project, he said that sharing a common understanding that occupies the nexus of being both black and Muslim is a blessing indeed, but also exhausting. Immediately, I had the urge to photograph these stories. I wanted to humanize one of the most influential communities in the world, whom in that same world is one of the most marginalized communities. So welcome, Bobby. Uh, Thank you. Hello. Hi. Thank you so much for being on. I know that we connected on Facebook actually a few months ago and the show today mm-hmm. kind of evolved really kind of when I saw your project, um, being black at the being black and Muslim project, um, your uh, photography like expose. And so welcome. Welcome to the show. Hey, um, no, thanks for having me. Oh, I definitely am glad that this is happening. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, definitely. Of course. And as I mentioned, um, to Marguerite and, um, Halim, we're, you know, we're just hoping this is kind of the start of many conversations on this topic. But tell us a little bit about your project and kind of what um, inspired you and, you know, a little bit about the hashtag and kind of how seeing that being black and Muslim inspired you and how it led to this project. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, the hashtag is sort of like this, the like oral or written documentation of the black Muslim experience, which unfortunately we don't really see often. And so seeing that hashtag and realizing that, you know, this is a sort of aspect of a culture that is often silenced. I immediately had this idea of, you know, creating a photo series to put faces to these people because in, when it comes to like black history, there isn't really much of an Islamic narrative that intertwines with black history in America or like a really a worldly black history, when you think about blackness and Islam, they're often separated. And a lot of um, 
black Americans believe that when you ask them about Islamic history, they don't feel that it has anything to do with them. And so they sort of like, you know, brush off any questions that have to do with that or any sort of feelings of activism that might go towards the Muslim community. Um, and so with the project, I wanted to so, so like sort of show society that, you know, black Muslims have always been an integral part of American history as well as uh, Islamic history. And there was, um, there was this quote by uh, Vanessa Taylor, who's uh, this amazing black Muslim woman. I think she's uh, one of the founders of the black liberation project. And she wrote this piece um, titled the, the anti-black asterisks of America's Islamophobia. I hope I can guess my bad if so. Um, and there was, there was a, a quote in the piece and I might be paraphrasing it a little bit um, where she talks about um, recognizing the full arc of uh, Islamic history and the development of American Muslim identity um, often requires people to sort of like locate and confront biases that have been internalized within this false context that's propagated as truth. And I think that it's important that the project that I created, the being, hashtag being black and Muslim, um, bring awareness to the challenges that black Muslims face from all angles. And as a result of occupying these very distinct two groups that are the most marginalized groups in society, but also mm. I would argue the two most influential groups in society, especially uh, in American society. Oh, yeah. Wow. So where can you, so yeah, how did you go about, tell us a little bit about what your project looks like and how we can Mm -hmm. access it, how we can see it. Um, Well, so the project, you you want me to talk about it, the visual? Yeah, we'll have a link, we'll have a link for our listeners to click on, but. All right, sick, yeah, so basically the project is nine portraits of um, nine different black Muslim people. I tried to make sure that each portrait or each person I use within the project came from a completely different background than the next. So we'll have West African Muslim, Black Muslims, East African Black Muslims, Black American Muslims, um, Black American um, revert Muslims, maybe um, Muslims who visually seem or appear more conservative than those who um, do not. Just because I wanted, when doing that, I wanted to show the full scope of black Muslim identities, since it's something that, you know, not a lot of us, or not a lot of people, I guess, and since I'm from Minnesota, I see it a lot, but not a lot of people around the world often see um, dark-skinned Muslim people, let alone, like, people who, like, fully identify as, like, black Muslim Mm -hmm. and are visually out there. Um, And so the project is nine portraits of those people with this sort of, like, earth-green background of them, um, from about the chest up and I posted the portrait singularly by themselves as well as with quotes that came from either the person I took the photo of or some that we had um, grabbed from the hashtag to sort of give you an array of ideas of the different difficulties and um, problems that black Muslim people have to face daily um, all over the world. Yeah. And that's from within the community, as we mentioned, and with that, and like outside the commu- Muslim yeah. community, mm-hmm. I remember sitting at a table yeah, at an event that where uh, there was a, I don't know how this topic came up, but there was a young man, 
And he was kind of frustrated. And I don't know, there, he must have had a conversation with someone right before. And he expressed his frustration. He's like, there's always this assumption that I converted to Islam <laughs> for one. So that's just one yeah. of them, right? Um, so that was a kind of a learning yeah, experience. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Sorry. No, no, my apologies. Um, yeah, no, that it's it being a black Muslim. It's an interesting um, paradigm. Like where there are people, there are black Muslims. I know they've been their family has been Muslim for um, generations and generations. Yet people do assume that they're always converts. Or um, being a black Muslim, sometimes other Muslim people they'll say salams to everyone else around you, but they won't address you mm-hmm. in the same manner because they, in their mind, for some reason they would not think that if you're at this event, like this Muslim event or around all these other Muslim people, they will still not connect that you are a black Muslim. Mm -hmm. And it's strange because if you think about um, black Muslim history, um, Islam was introduced in Africa in around like the 11th century, I believe. Mm -hmm. Um, And when it was introduced, uh, a lot of black um, Muslims who decided to take up the religion were usually at the time like traitors or kings. And so, literally the rulers, the people who ran the societies, these societies in Africa were Muslim. The wealthiest man in the history of the world was the African king of Mali, Mansa Musa, he was Muslim. Mm -hmm. And so this whole narrative that blackness and Islam are incompatible is so insane. And I think it has a lot to do with, you know, us a lot, like, especially in America and around the world, being taught world history from this, like, Eurocentric point of view. Yes, yeah. Marguerite, we haven't yeah, heard from like you a little to, bit. Yeah, go ahead, yeah, please. I was gonna gonna add. I mean, my my husband, he he was born in Detroit, and I mean, his his parents currently live in in Ann Arbor right now. And one time we we went back to visit his folks, and we were in Dearborn, and I went into the store, and my husband happens to be um, racially ambiguous, so some people think you know they assume that he's Arab. And so when I went into this store, the shop owner did not even say anything to me. And I'm identified as Muslim. I wear hijab. Mm-hmm. And then when he walked in, it was like, salamu alaikum. You know, like it was just such a different, you know, I mean, I experienced like just like it, it's actually attenuated by just the shock of being a black woman. Like this assumption that we're worth less, like Oh, you know, I mean, and I've recounted a story where, where, I mean, at my own anti-racism event, um, you know, an Arab uncle, like he was like invited to it, but I don't think he understood the topic, but I mean, he joked in Arabic to my husband in front of me, like, you're married to the black one. I thought you'd be married to, you know, like a woman that looked like a woman of Jenna, a white woman, a blonde woman. Wow. And it was just like in oh front God. of two mixed race, like Palestinian, they were half white and half Palestinian girls. And it was just like, I had to go up and give my speech about the importance of anti-racism work, but just the constant, um, the, the constant microaggressions that even he experiences, like where they don't really understand the the plurality of the black experience you know like why are there you know light-skinned black people that they're not all just biracial but products of like a long you know history of exploitation of black women and so um you know so making certain comments about skin tone um or denying his blackness is also a kind of microaggression that we experience regularly and you know but also this kind of 
surprised that I, you know, like me as a black woman, I would have a husband that's an imam. You know, like it's just very, um, you know, like I, I, when I was thinking about Helene talking about masculinity, I mean, I write a lot about the devaluation of black womanhood of, um, you know, and how in, in some ways ideas of the value of white femininity is, is, you know, juxtaposed, like it's just black women are not seen as, as worthwhile, worthy, and we experience a, a different level of misogynoir in the Muslim community. And in fact, there's a slang word in Arabic. It's like they call black women nisa bedun shah, which is like women without hair. And so, like even just this whole idea of our hair and like our value and our beauty, and like it goes back pre-Islamic, like pre-colonial times. Like that's that's where my where I have medieval texts of um, showing like just the ways that they would discriminate against like black women. And then, so there are certain things that predate colonialism, but obviously white supremacy has like definitely um, added to that. There's certain kind of indigenous forms of racism within South Asian or like color hierarchies. And that affects how they interact with black people. And, you know, I mean, I love my blackness and, and the beauty of my family. And I think it's very unfortunate that as a community that our youth are affected mm-hmm. by this. And this is why I founded Muslim Art is that having a young, like I, I founded Muslim Art when my daughter was two. And I thought about all the young people who come up in Islam and when they engage, when they, they experience racism within Islamic schools, within MSDs, mm-hmm. They don't want to be, you know, they don't want to be part of the Muslim community anymore. And so I didn't want my daughter to experience the type of racism I experienced as growing up Christian and not relating at all to the hypocrisy of of white Christians. I didn't want her to experience the hypocrisy of racism um, and the arrogant and, and to not feel like she has a place in the in the Muslim community and society at large. And so you know, this, this work and I mean, the, um, from the work on psychology and looking at the effects of racism and Islamophobia, but also the visual aspect of representation is so important because those are beautiful portraits. And to see that, you know, to come out of the kind of work three years later, when we, when we first started Muslim art, I remember was such like, I just had like less than a thousand followers. I think I had 800 and I tweeted my thumb, like I tweeted to thousands of people, please join this hashtag to talk about what does it mean to be black and Muslim. And now we could just do the announcement during Black History Month and it it trends because mm-hmm. this conversation is going and I feel really blessed and honored to be, you know, to, to play a key role in providing that space and to have the sustained conversation. And I think that we're moving, I could I've seen how it's evolved. In the past, like it's going on four years since we started addressing anti-blackness. And I mean, it's very beautiful what's, what's happening, you know, to see the kind of works that are developing and to see the kind of celebration of like the plurality of what it means to be Muslim in America and what it means to be Muslim globally. Um, we just still have a lot of work to do. Mm-hmm. And I'm here for all of that. Wow. Yeah. Um 
No, I agree. I feel like we've, you know, maybe it's, yeah, definitely the blessings of social media. I feel like these conversations, you're hearing more about it. There's more um, opportunities to get involved. Now, there is actually a big conference coming up in about two weeks, uh, less than two weeks. Week. Yeah. In a week, yeah. The Black Muslim Psychology Conference that's headed by Camila um, Rashad, who I hope to have on in the future. I contacted her, and I know she's really busy right now, but right. I really hope that she'll be able to be on. And that's coming up, and I believe that you both, um, Halim and Marguerite, are speaking or have in the past. Um, and I don't know about you, Bobby. Actually, it would be really nice to have your exhibit there. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you are, but maybe in the future, because mm-hmm. this is turning into an annual conference. Um, but what topics will you be covering, and can you describe the significance of this meeting um, for our listeners, Halim? So the topic I'm covering, I'm going to have in in the past, I've uh, shared my dissertation studies and then put a last year we proposed a we we presented our model on masculinity on a, a spirit. It's a it's a psycho spiritual developmental model on masculinity this oh. year. This year, I wanted to have a very frank discussion, a real talk discussion about um, just some of the things that are privy to our community. Uh, so, so it'll be we wanted to have a little more of a intimate type of setup and be able to really go into some of the things that um, that we may be self-sabotaging things mm-hmm. uh, and, and providing some resolutions. So that's what I'll be covering uh, this year, next week. So I'm really, really excited about that. So. Wow. Marguerite? Well, this year I won't be presenting. Last year um, I presented to the affinity group. So I worked with um, both um, uh, people from other faith communities, but also um, South Asian, Arab, um, Muslims who didn't identify as black. Um, and so we talked about, um, like I led them through a workshop on racial identity formation and um, skill building for being an ally. So I worked on um, addressing kind of like managing emotional triggers and in intercultural uh, conflict and centering um, those who have faced racial trauma um, so that we could be more sensitive to um, and understand kind of like how privilege operates and how, you know, we could best manage um, our um, kind of emotions without like shutting down um, race talk. And so, um, but I, we are definitely, Muslim market is definitely a supporter. We have members that are attending uh, and playing his key roles. Um, but you know, I mean, there's just such amazing people in the community who are doing, um, you know, like who, who do work that, that aligns. And so we're definitely, um, proud and to be, um, you know, kind of be uh, supporters of the work that's happening there. Wow. I wanted to put a plug in for it. I mean, just for publicizing, but I mean, you could do it after. I guess it's not like you were asking a question. So. Oh, I was just going to, we'll definitely do that. I was just going to um, ask Bobby, um, mm-hmm. you know, what does, I guess, um, how has the project, but your project been received? What's in the future for you? And what does black and being Muslim mean to you? Being black and Muslim mean to you? Mm-hmm. Those are three questions in one. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no worries, yeah, I'll, I'll get through all of that. I'll let you know if I forget something. Um, okay. Um, I think that, you know, 
well, the, the last one, what does being black and Muslim mean to you? I think being black and Muslim means like you're constantly everywhere, but for, at the same time, you feel that, you know, you're not enough. Like you're all like both cultures are always being spoken about and dissected and a part of these larger conversations, but oftentimes the conversations are negative because they're not including us in those conversations to sort of talk about the beauty of it all. It means that we're like constantly trying to validate our existence in circles that we thought were supposed to be our like home base and constantly having to fight and go through fatigue and look for others to assist us on this journey, but also realizing that, you know, being black as well as being Muslim, you're part of the, the, you're part of one of the most beautiful cultures in the world. And I think that it's a blessing mm-hmm. to sort of be fit in both of these identities and to meet the people that I meet and to sort of have this like tight knit community, especially through the internet and especially through the hashtag, which I'm super grateful for. And I love all the work that you do, Marjorie, by the way. Um, and it's nice Thank to you. have this conversation with you. Um, and I think I'm hoping to, with this project at least, do some type of traveling exhibit. I'm still trying to figure out the logistics of it all. Um, so if you guys know anyone that wants to display it, I'm more than happy to send it wherever I need to. Um, come to Detroit. In terms of other, mm-hmm. come to Detroit. Mm-hmm. You know, listen, like yeah, come to September. All I, all we're having a conference. <laughs> I didn't know, like I didn't. We're, we're, I'm not trying to plug it. I, I I really want Camila's conference to shine, and our follow up will uh-huh. be, um, we'll, like we're having an anti racism training. So we hope to kind of continue convening in these spaces. So definitely come to Detroit. I mean, I'm in SoCal right now, but yeah. our home base is in Detroit. So please come to okay. Detroit. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm about it for sure. I'll, like, I literally, I need a space and I will be able to provide the work and get it all out there. If that sounds be. And So yeah, if you guys know anyone who's, who wants to show the project anywhere, I'm more than happy to collaborate with them and like, make it happen. And in other terms of other work that I'm working on, I, just, I did a project recently that I just um, published about the history and the significance of black barbershops, mm-hmm. which the show that that was the last day for that show it was in Minneapolis is today, unfortunately. However, the pieces that I created for it are online for anyone to go check out. And um, what's the website? I it's on my website, just bobbyrogers.co. Okay. And you can check out my other work plug. Um, and uh, I think next I'm going to be I have a solo show coming up in October where I will be creating a body of work that is sort of a continuation of talking about the complexity of blackness and gathering you know these sort of figures and doing these like really regal style portraits of different people that will represent different communities or characters or aspects of the black community. Um, whether it be people that I know that are, you know, represent like the creative community, the, uh, the black woman as a queen, which is like how in my mind, I, I put black women on such as like high pedestal that I want that to be represented. Um, this sort of like black male figure, the sort of like black creative, black LGBTQ, all of that stuff. Um, 
I'm going to have represented in the show. And so it should be really cool. I'm excited for it. Wow. Well, it sounds so amazing. Um, This really touches on a lot of topics that I have been really interested in and really kind of um, speak to me as well. And kind of a reason why I started the show, because I really wanted to start having these conversations and keep it open Mm -hmm. so that other people, you know, are clicking on it and open to it and then, you know, open to hearing new stories and might discover something new. Um, But I think growing up as, um, I mean, for me, um, I grew up, like, as I mentioned, in Durham, North Carolina, lived there for the first nine years of my life, then moved overseas and went to an international school and was exposed to all different types of cultures. Um, Mm-hmm. There's, I know they're going to be talking about this at the conference, but just even colorism too. And um, like, you know, you guys all mentioned it kind of being Muslim, but also for me being like South Asian, what did that mean? Like being, um, mm-hmm. feeling a certain way, for example, with like, you know, even in college with um, other Indians that were Hindu, but I knew that I was still different because I, Islam was really important to me. Um, but I was like, but I mm-hmm. still have, I'm, you know, I have a lot in common with you too. And sometimes feeling a little bit ostracized or different. Um, but I also wanted to kind of mention for our listeners just a few, I guess, influential books and places that you can turn to um, if you want to learn more about this topic. And please jump in, you guys. Um, but one of the books that I did, I did a independent study in college on um, Muslim slaves in the antebellum South. And an amazing book um, was called um, Servants of Allah. Um, and it's uh, by Sylvianne Diouf, D-I-O-U-F, I believe his last name. She talks, the whole book is about um, basically Muslim slaves in the antebellum South. And um, it's an amazing book. Also, another really good book um, that kind of um, mentions a lot of these themes about um, racial and ethnic identity that was really influential on me actually in college also um, is, I think it's it's a long title, Why Are All the Black Kids Sitting Together in the Cafeteria by Beverly Tatum. I think she was in Wayne, at Wayne State a few years ago. I would love to hear her one day. And then, of course, if you haven't read the autobiography of Malcolm X, um, that was m- – life-changing for me because it was the first time that I read about a contemporary American Muslim that was like such a exactly someone that's contemporary and such a huge role model and just you know changed the lives and mindset of so many people and um yeah so we'll probably put a few links up of those in our um, show notes but Halim you also wanted to add something we'll probably kind of round it out too yeah yeah I wanted to I wanted to highlight the importance that I've been to a lot of different conferences, you know, both, you know, African-American Muslim conferences and, um, and, and non-African-American Muslim conferences predominantly. So, you know, your ISNAs, ICNAs, you know, things like that. Um, there, there isn't, from what I, from what I've seen, there's, there's a couple, uh, there's a couple national conferences, uh, that are, that are connected with, the you know, the uh, W D Muhammad community and the Nation of Islam and you know that community has like a shared history and a shared mm-hmm. you know space like that. Um, I have not seen uh, looking around. I don't think on a national scale it exists. I haven't seen a a diversified space that centers the Black Muslim experience like the black Muslim psychology conference does. Mm. And, and uh, Camila Mashad made it a point and made it to, to be an annual conference. And you just see in these other conferences and other things that I personally think uh, it's a little more empowering that, that uh, African Americans, people of color, people who have certain worldviews, even that, you know, or even, even our counterparts and allies, 
should really start supporting more conferences like this one that mm-hmm. actually speak to the worldviews and actually center black Muslim experiences. Uh, what gets very tricky when you go to these big mega conferences is the idea that Muslim and we're all Muslim and together and, you know, we should worry about, you know, the community and all of each other. That is actually more nuanced and cultural than mm-hmm. everyone seems to think. You look around at the people, you look at what's being spoken about, you look at what's not being spoken about, you look at the issues and different things like that, and you, and you clearly see that the black Muslim struggle and mm-hmm. the black Muslim history in our issues and our agenda and what's best for our community is not centered in these conferences. So the Black Muslim Psychology Conference, we were very intentional from the beginning Mm. of centering that and actually having a direction and going with it. There's many imams, there's many scholars, there's many sheikhs and different things like that throughout the country. But it seems like with our people – and this is a collective issue with African-Americans just in general, not just African-American Muslims, that it is a very big struggle for us to get at a, to collaborate and come together in a unified direction because we're also the most leveraged population financially and I would also say religiously. We're, we're very leveraged. A trillion dollars comes through black people's hands every single year and yet we are just mm. in worse shape than ever because, again, a lack of national collaboration and uh, connection with each other. So it's next week. It's July the 21st and the 22nd in the presidential in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, a beautiful facility that holds hundreds of people. Um, everybody's going to be staying in the uh, Doubletree in the Plymouth meeting, in the suites. It's The registration just opened up again because mm, it filled up so much. So they it found was, a new venue, right? Yeah, it was a wait list. Wow. Because we they went like over 100 people more than <laughs> what they thought. So now we, we had to get a whole nother place. So we got another place that's much bigger. And it's, um, it's just exciting. It is the most exciting. Con- I go to a number of conferences, but it is, in, you know, the Muslim Mental Health Conference is in mm-hmm. the center of my heart. This one has a special, uh, very special place. So go to www.blackmuslimpsychology.org and um, get that there. Wow. Awesome. You're kind of convincing me. I was going to go and then something came up and now I'm like, you know what? Screw it. I'm going. (laughs) Forget my four kids. <laughs> and my husband. <laughs> like I see them enough. Um, anyway, <laughs> thank you guys so much for being here. Again, this is going to be an ongoing conversation, and we mentioned so many people who you reminded me that I, I definitely have to have on the show. Dawood Walid is um, a local. Um, I mean, he's huge, and I would be so honored to have these so many him as well as Hin Maki. We're hoping to have Imam Mikhail Stewart soon. Um, I want to invite um, Imam Salim Khalid. We have so many amazing people locally and nationally. Oh, yeah. um, I mean, I could just yeah. make a whole podcast just on this topic. Oh, yeah. Maybe I will. <laughs> um, but thank you so much, everybody. Thank you so much, um, Bobby and Marguerite, for being here. Um, and Halim, Dr. Halim Naim, for being here and taking right, some time out. I know. 
right. kind of even the two of you on last minute notice. And I know you're both all, all three of you are busy with appointments and meetings and getting to Friday prayer. So I really, really appreciate it. Again, I hope this is just a intro to awesome conversations to come. And for our listeners, please check out, um, we have a Facebook page. Eventually I'm going to get an Instagram account. I have to do that. Okay. Um, but we're on, uh, what are we on? We're on SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, and of course iTunes on Apple. Um, and just look for Unsung Heroes. Um, I heard radio the, as of last week. Oh, really? Our, yeah. And Dave, by the way, is here, the owner of Podcast <laughs> Detroit. So iHeartRadio. Oh, cool. I didn't know that. Okay, very good. Um, and just check us out, Unsung Heroes uh, Podcast Detroit on the Podcast Detroit Network. And um, check out our previous episodes and get in touch with us. Leave a review. We always love hearing from you. And um, join us next time for another episode of Unsung Heroes. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you guys so much.